Welcome everybody to the Sleepy Perform Repeat podcast. This is your host, David Clancy, and along with my co-host, Connor Gavin, we are here in SoCo Performance, Dublin, Ireland, to bring you a podcast focusing on what it means to be performing at the highest level. What, in essence, is high-performance culture? We're going to share our experience and our backgrounds into what we've acquired over the years. Connor Gavin has extensive experience of working in the AFL with the West Coast Eagles, but also having worked in a high-performance environment with the Irish rugby team. Myself, David Clancy, I'm going to bring my experience and know-how from having worked in London with Isaac Kinetic Medical Group on Hardy Street, but also having experienced high-performance culture working with the Brooklyn Nets and the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA. What we're striving to achieve here is to find out what exactly makes high-level athletes tick and what makes them to perform at the highest level and how they really can get back to play at the highest level of return to play and return to performance after injury. How do all these elements play a role in performance? That's what we're really trying to find out here. So I hope you all enjoy listening to this and can learn. I really hope it sparks an interest because what we're really trying to do here in Ireland is evolve and grow and tap into what really makes high performance culture. Hey guys, we have two guests for the price of one today. So we spoke to Huey Douglas, who's the footballer for Bray Wanderers in the League of Ireland. We're also joined in the studio by Jake Mulligan, who's one of our patients here in the clinic, who's also a friend of Huey's. So we have a good chat to Huey about his injury history. He's injured his ACL in the past and has gone through that process. So we speak to him about how he thinks that injury has actually impacted his play and his career to date. Get good advice from him um, for people going through their own ACL rehab process or other extended rehab processes uh, from both a physical and a mental point of view. Chat about the support networks that there are for injured players in the League of Ireland as well as the support structures in terms of education for those younger players. Talk about his interest in sports science. He's obviously got a qualification in that and also the idea of marginal gains in sport. So as per usual, if you have any questions or comments from myself or David on the episode, we'd love to hear them. We can be reached on Instagram on Soco Performance or D Clancy Physio. And Huey is there as well as Huey Douglas, all one word. So yeah, any questions, comments, just get in touch and enjoy the episode. Okay, morning everyone and welcome to another episode of Sleepy Perform Repeats. Today we are speaking with Huey Douglas, professional footballer with Bray. So I'm going to hand over to David who's going to give you a bit of an introduction to Huey and as well our new mystery guest who's also joining us here today. <laughs> Huey, thanks a lot for coming in today. Um, pleasure to see you again. It's been a long time. I remember our summer time with UCD when you burst onto the scene as a centre half and you really look like the next big thing. So been with Bray for the last kind of five, six years, your hometown club. Unfortunately, you've had a bit of injury to deal with over the last couple of years, but you seem to be coming back nice and strong. So we're wishing you all the best and looking forward to delving into a couple of things with you today. Jake Mulligan, let me introduce you to the forum today. I'm actually currently treating Jake. He's uh, a left back, plays for Enniskerry in Wicklow in League of Ireland, uh, Enniskerry. And uh, we're going to understand what he's going through today and see if you can give him any advice. If the, if the Leinster Senior League has anything that they can learn from League of Ireland and vice versa. And just looking forward to hearing this conversation. So, Jake, tell us how you know Hugh Douglas. Where did where did that all start? Right. Well, years ago, in school, football, me and Huey would have played against each other. But we kind of really got to know each other when uh, Huey got a job in pennies alongside me. And we kind of know each other ever since then. Okay. Only you and go to Yeah. <clears throat> so Huey, tell us what's what's life like today. What what's going on with you at the moment? Um, so I finished my undergrad in sports science. 
Um, I am <coughs> as a PE teacher in two boarding schools in Bray and um, playing football for Bray Wanderers. So all go. Um, and then on top of that, I have to recover from an ACL injury last year. So it's been quite a busy year for myself. Okay. A ACL, to, to which knee was that now? That was my left knee. Okay, but you've also hurt the other knee before, yeah? Yeah, when I was 16. Um, funny enough, I was actually working in pennies, yeah. pennies at the time. And I only started a job during the summer just to get a bit of extra cash for myself. And I tore my right knee. And I had two operations to fix that. Firstly, a mastectomy, and then secondly, for the actual ACL itself. And now, fast forward to 2018, I done the left knee. And that was one operation to fix both mastectomy and the ACL. Okay. So we're having a chat uh, for the, the people listening to this just before we started recording with Huey about, about his injury. So it was actually some good stuff. So I might get you to, to tell them again in terms of how you felt the injuries have affected your, your play positionally speaking. Yeah, so when I was young, I was a centre mid and when I suffered the first ACL injury, I gradually progressed into a centre back. Um, over the last few years, I've been playing right back, centre back. Now with this injury, um, I've been progressed or more or less set in stone to be a centre half this year at Bray. Um, as I was saying to you guys earlier, I would have loved to have done a battery of tests regarding um, change of direction and sprint times before. I got injured and then had had them obviously now to see if there has been a decline or an incline in my speed. So I just feel that um, with the actual injury itself that you can do all the work in, in the world you want, but it's, it's quite a tough injury to come back for to get back to exactly where you were before the injury, you know? Okay. And Jake, your position, where, what position are you playing at the moment? I'm left back. Left back as well. Outside the Huey. Okay. And what are you, have you any particular concerns about your injury? Yeah, like, I suppose, like maybe when I get back from injury, tackling, you know, like that first tackle. Okay. And even kind of, I don't have any, I don't mean injury on the actual turf. So probably getting back playing on the actual turf is going to be kind of, probably difficult. Yeah. So it's kind of just a mental block, really. Okay. I suppose in these early phases now, you're how many weeks post-op, Jake? Uh, a week and a, week and a half, so about 10 days post-op. You know, you still have your stitches in, you're still on yeah. crutches. Is there any immediate advice you would give Jake? Just not to get uh, too lost looking at the, the end date. I know surgeons will say nine to 12 months and um, don't be looking at that date. Um, take the small goals as big positives. Um, for myself, getting the swelling down, getting full range of motion, doing the actual small exercises at the very start are probably the biggest things at the start to keep, keep you motivated and, and uh, in a good place of mind. Um, I know when I looked at that nine months, the first thing is a drastic change that won't be able to play sports or mm. they'll compete for nine to 12 months. So if you have small goals at the start and try and hit them as much as best as you can, it's probably the best thing advice I can give at the very beginning of the rehab protocol. So you're talking there, Huey, about things like mindset and motivation and stuff like that. But like ACL is one of the longer rehab kind of periods of injury that you see in sports. Did you find the mental side of it more difficult than the physical side of it or both equal? Oh, we could say both equal. At the beginning, um, the first time I done my ACL, I was quite down, and I found it quite tough. The second time, I was lucky enough, if you can put it that way, I'd been through the process before, so I kind of knew what was what was to expect regarding the rehab, the timeline of of certain things that's going to happen to your body, the changes that are going to happen. So, um, but then at the same time, you can't really prepare yourself. You're going to have down days that you're down. You just don't feel great. 
people think that when you get the actual surgery, it's a straight line from point A to point B, you return to play. It's not. You have so many days up and down. It's niggling at you. It's hurting you. Certain things don't feel right in the gym, and you're constantly questioning yourself. Has this been successful operations? Am I doing the right things? Am I, am I physio treating me the correct way? And just need to believe in the process and like guarantee if you do the work, you don't do anything out of the guidelines, you'll, you'll make a full recovery. Jake, do you have any questions to ask you? It's probably like the biggest thing for me, for me personally, obviously it's different, I, I don't make it, my career is not football, it's just something I do. And when you're kind of told nine months, it's like it's a bit of a scary kind of feeling isn't it really when you get told that but for me like, I'm an electrician and I'm out, I've been out of work since the day of the injury so by the time I got back to work I'll be out of work five months which is kind of just tough to take you know all my, all my friends are out and about like they work or they're socialising on the weekend and sometimes I can't do that and that's purely down to the injury and I know it's my fault I'm the one that caused it but just kind of it is like you said Huey men- mentally it's it's tough like even the, the night after the operation, I was going to ask myself, did I do the right thing there? Because I feel like I'm back to square one in terms of, like, I feel like I'm injured again. But kind of, you have to think of a bigger picture. Really. I suppose a lot of the <coughs> athletes I've worked with that have gone through something like an ACL recovery or some, some, some fracture or something that leads to a long period of time out, they tend to respond really mentally strong at the end of it because they've had to show a lot of resilience and toughness and they've had to have those small wins throughout the time and build into the process and... And when they do take that first tackle or have their first two or three training sessions back, you can see that they're they're mentally back in it and they can reflect on, well, I worked really hard for seven months to get, or nine months or 12 months to get back to the game that I love and, and have wanted to play forever. So, so you know, you can look forward to that because that's, that's all ahead of you, I suppose. Hugh, I'd like to ask a little bit about what are the support networks like in the <coughs> League of Ireland, you know, for your standard... We can then ask Jake about LSL and that sort of standard. But for players that maybe are, are out of contract or in contract like yourself, if somebody suffers a pretty serious injury that requires surgery, what's the kind of process there? Is it is it the responsibility of the league or is, or is it the club or is it the individual? Um, so it was in the media quite a lot last year that the club was going through some tough times regarding, um, regarding money. Um, with myself and one other player, John Sullivan, the club didn't have the funds to um, pay for our operations. So the way it works, I saw a lot of things on social media that how are they allowed in the league, how are they allowed to get past processing to, to be a League of Ireland team. It's the case that the club do have an insurance, but it's the case that the cash flow isn't there to meet the cost of the operations. Now, that was the previous regime, the previous owners, and, and time has, has fast forward to 2019, and things are a lot more better in the club, a lot more stable. Was a new owner and um, new chairman, obviously, and the whole new body of people that have brought things on. But previously, it was the case of where me and John didn't have funds there to get our operations done, so we had to go and use our own money to pay for the operations, find our own physiotherapist team because the physiotherapist at the club wasn't getting paid, so he wasn't turning up, mm. and um, the whole process was. We had to do it ourselves, and it was quite difficult at the time to do everything on top of having the injury. So, like, I couldn't walk, I, I couldn't drive. So, to have to, this extra stress of getting things done, it was quite difficult. But we came out, came out the better end of it, and I think that myself and John, and I think the club, everyone has learned from this process. You know, 
Um, but I still believe a lot more needs to be done for player welfare. You know, I, I really do think if the club want, if the league wants to strive and become a real European hotspot for players to come and play in this league and showcase our talent, that things need to be done. You know. So along with you know player welfare and kind of a healthcare model, multidisciplinary model to support players that become injured, mm-hmm. or even in terms of injury prevention, what else? What else is there? Do you think that can make Ireland more of a beacon and an attractive source for young players from the UK or Germany or the US? I just, I just think that that the uh, that the management team in the club and obviously this, this stems back from the actual league. I just think that the support structures regarding the group of sports scientists, the physiotherapists, the club doctors, the management team, all the way up to the board of directors, they need to have a plan in place where it all flows and everyone's on the same hymn sheet. On top of that, as much as clubs are doing great things at the moment, promotional work, I think the attendances are up in the league, which is fantastic. I do think that the facilities need to be improved regarding training ground facilities and obviously the actual stadiums themselves to make the fan experience a lot better the player facilities or the training ground facilities for the players mm-hmm. on top of that that will bring income in if you have a nice fan experience nice stadiums people are going to come to the games and that hopefully in turn will lead to being able to keep our good talented players here in the country give them a wage where it's a viable option to stay here and be a professional football in the league where it's not the case of well I can't see a future here, there's not enough money, I have to go across the water or I have to look abroad in Europe or even further to MLS or to America. So if they get the actual structures in place, they get the actual facilities improved and hopefully that the income for players improves too, you know, as much as I hate to say it, I do think the income for players has to be improved if you want to keep them here because at the end of the day players are going to go to place, well the majority of players are going to go to place that place in the most money. So. Um, if you improve those things, there's no reason why this league can't be one of the struggling ones in Europe. And you look at the likes of Dundalks and Rovers getting to Europa League on, on small budgets and small squads, it shows that there is talent here and there is good players coming through the ranks at the moment. So you'd be hoping along with kind of sponsorship deals, private investors, and then I suppose TV rights, because it's, it's, there's more of a presence now even in air sport, and that's what we're seeing weekly. Of course, weekend. yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Air sport showing a lot more games, and you have RTE there as well. But. Um, I, there's, there's no reason why this league can't grow and obviously I'm talking this is a process it's not going to be in my lifetime I don't think so I'm going to be out of the league by the time this happens but there's no reason why this, the league can't strive and become a really really good European league and that's challenging year in year out in the Europa League group stages or even further you know there's no reason why it can't Jake what's your opinion on players that at the age of 16, 17 older, younger say I'm going to try the next step and move to England is that does that always work well for them? Is that a young players' dream? Sometimes they come back and it didn't always work out. What's your opinion on that? Well, I'm sure <coughs> if you look the majority, it didn't work out. But plenty kind of have come back and played in the league. Here we have did that in the league of Ireland, and they've made a decent career, or they've got a chance to go back across the UK at a later date, and they've done all right for themselves instead over there. I suppose growing up, everyone's kind of dream is to play. At that level, but no one's ever like well, not no one, but a large portion aren't gonna ever get that opportunity. And I suppose if, as Huey said, the League of Ireland can provide a viable alternative to that, with wages and welfare and stuff, like maybe the best kids won't go to the UK or won't go to England and Scotland and make a career there, and the league will only get better, and it's gonna kind of 
you look at domino effect radio the national team will get better the league will get better more people will be tuned in and kind of it's everyone will be affected in a good way yeah absolutely so you you uh mentioned on your twitter once about the importance of education mm. for for young players is there is that very much left to people's own devices in the league of ireland or is there a system in place where they recommend you you go and you go and do stuff whether it's a trade or or further study anything like that at the moment i i, I think they, they run the the post schools or post-secondary schools and um, etb courses so it's a one-year course the players train full-time and get an education as well which i don't and um, i couldn't recommend that course highly or more enough to young players coming through if you're still here and um, to do that course and you get your education and um, you get a allowance a week train full-time and then obviously in the evenings you go to your league of ireland team and you train it depends if your league of ireland team is full-time if you train in the morning or evening but um, it's a great opportunity i believe there is a fourth year course as well held in fingal i'm not too sure on the actual location where the players go in to train for a full year and the whole goal is to get them to move on to go across the England. But a lot of the, the League of Ireland teams at the moment, it's down to their own devices regarding organising scholarships with local colleges. So for example, Waterford with Waterford IT, yeah. and Galway with NIU or NUI, and then you have Cork with UCC, I think, or Limerick with UL. So it's definitely down to the players regarding, or, or sorry, to the players, to the clubs organising their own partnerships regarding um, players will go on a scholarship to that college, fully paid for, get their education while play for the club at the same time, which I think is a brilliant model. Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant model. Um, but I wish there was more structure in place that it's coming from the top down, that it's, it's like an umbrella, so not everyone's doing their own thing, you know, yeah. the same sort of protocols are in place and, and the same pathways are in place for all the players, you know. Yeah. For the listeners outside Ireland, how many teams in the League of Ireland are full-time and, and teams that are not full-time? I'm not too sure. I, I, I'd imagine that a good, a good portion of the top-flight teams. I would imagine Dundalk, Rovers, Cork, Waterford, Sligo, um, St. Pat's are full-time. Um, the rest are part-time. But I just uh, to be honest, there's no, such, there's no such thing in the League of Ireland as part-time. A lot of the lads, all the lads are good guys, they all train hard, they dedicate their lives to this, they do their own time away from training, you know, so um, to call it a part-time league, I think sometimes when I hear it, it's insulting because a lot of the lads do put a lot of the work in, mm. even though some are full-time, some are part-time, a lot of the guys do put a lot of work into it, so I consider them full-time. It's not, it's not a part-time job in my opinion, for the time and effort you put into it and what you get back, obviously, you don't get the rewards regarding financial rewards, but at the end of the day, it's it's a lad's hobby. Like someone told me that you're going to be playing at the highest level in this country when I was a young guy, playing with your friends, your family, and getting a wage at the same time. Like I, I took the hand off, you know. You have to have to be you have to be proud and be, and be have pride in playing in the league. And yeah. I think that um, a lot of the players do, and I think it's a great league. The players put a lot of work in, you know. I'd like to just change tack for a second and just. Sports science behind you, correct? Of course, yeah. What in the field of sports science at the moment is is you're finding interesting? Is there anything that we should be reading up in the field mm -hmm. of sports science? We have people coming on that have um, a little bit of that behind them. I went down regarding the route for my thesis of retirement in sport. So I looked at the effects of retirement and I looked at my cohort was um, 
ex-League of Ireland players. I looked at the background, what they had when they retired regarding education, what services were made available, made available to them, and their athletic identity at retirement regarding was always the plan or did not plan. And I got some good findings, you know. Um, at the moment, the sports science, the more field-based stuff, um, I think velocity-based training is something that's already kicking on, even though it's been around for years. Hope you're listening, Dan Lawrence. You're coming on in an hour. You're <laughs> big into this. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that the battery of tests now for um, rehab regarding return to play is a lot more readily available. Um, for example, with me, I've done my eccentric strength on my hamstrings, whereas... Listen up, Jake. <laughs> it's all ahead of me. So when I previously done it when I was 16, um, these tests weren't there, weren't readily available, yeah. you know. So the hamstring solo was a great thing. And um, was able to obviously identify straight away within a matter of five minutes that there was a deficit in my hamstrings so that I had to get below 10%. So the devices coming through now are, are more readily available for people. I think sports science labs and the cost is coming down yeah. regarding players actually being let go and, and use these um, facilities and it's only going to help the players, you know, it's only going to help the players, it's only help the standard in the league if, if it is implemented. I think sports science is a striving, as long as long, as long a wish, um, with the rehab, rehabilitation um, niche as well. Uh, it's, it's really coming together and I think it's striving at the moment, you know. So, sports science man, good background, professional footballer, what does high performance mean to you? I think it's the difference sometimes between winning and losing. And I think if you really buy into it, um, obviously if, if the whole if the whole concept, the whole model in your club is, is flawed, then it's not going to work. But if your club is striving on the pitch, guys are doing their utmost off the pitch, if you bring a high performance to give you that extra few percent, it's going to make a difference. Yeah. I think I saw on the TV the other day, I know it's, you're, you're speaking hypothetically, but the, the goal that Man City kept off the line against Liverpool in the Etihad yeah. was... 10 millimeters or something. Yeah. Yeah. These are the differences. Fine margins. Yeah, these yeah. are the fine margins of sports. These marginal days, gains. Yeah. Yeah. Really marginal gains. That could have been the fact that John Stones was that small bit more, I'm just saying, more small bit flexible to get his leg wrapped around to block it off the line or whatever it is. You know, it's just yeah. small gains these days in sport are huge. You know? Crucial on it. So let's say two boys are playing centre half or right back or, or left back and you get roasted for a goal one on one. Some major calamity, you slip or, or something outrageous happens. That's, yeah. a, that's a weekly thing. <laughs> yeah, for me, yeah. <laughs> how, do you, uh, how do you kind of reset yourselves? Is that something that you let, obviously it's not intentional if you did dwell on it, but if you get over it, how do you try and reset yourself and, and just kind of move on and regain your edge in a match? You come in that happy. I don't know, so it's, each, each person's kind of different, but you just kind of have to put it to the back of your head. You know, I always come in to find your first pass after, your first challenge after. Like it's, it's, Make sure that they're spot on, because like one mistake would lead into five or six, and then before you know it, you're, you're hauled off and you're, you're standing on the sideline, and yeah. maybe you're dropped next week, and then all of a sudden a, a bad five minutes turns into a bad five games, and when the, your head's gone, and you have to fight to get back into the team, and you know like there's lads on the sideline who was in your position, and they're gonna try and take that, you know, to take your mistake and as their opportunity to, yeah. to jump out with. What do you reckon here? Um, for if I give any advice to younger guys coming through, it's, it's it only comes with experience how to deal with the emotions. If you're you lose a game or you're at mistake, you know like I, I was awful when I first came into the league. I made a mistake that my family or my friends would, would suffer from. I'd be in a bad mood, you know, or you you 
shut them off and just wouldn't talk, you know. It only comes with age, it's how, how to deal with the with the, with the negatives or the setbacks regarding actual performances on the pitch. And um, I think some of the best things to do directly after a game is not to overanalyze, just let it settle. Get home and then over the course of the weekend, we're lucky that we use video analysis now. So it's, it's a great tool regarding how to break down games, look at the highlights, look at where you went wrong. So. And that's when you kind of critically analyze your own performance. You know, okay. I don't think diving straight into it after a game is the best for the mindset. You know, yeah. some lads are some lads, some lads after a game, their heads can be gone. You know, yeah. Obviously, touch on it, let them reset, and then obviously dive into it the weekend. How can improve? You know, well, perfect. And lastly, for me, then is uh, the big three things in your lives at the moment, lads. So whether that's professionally, personally, what are the three things that are kind of most important to you guys at the moment, or that define you at the moment? Form an orderly queue. That's kind of tough, I suppose. Um, they just stumped me with that now. There you go. My family is, is a big thing to me. Um, my two nephews and my niece, um, spending time with them, my sister, my brother, my mother, and father. And obviously then we extend the family, spending a lot of time with them as much as I can has been brilliant for me over the last year recovering from the injury. Um, so they're number one priority for me. And then obviously just, yeah, I suppose my education and um, continuous learning, you know, you're not, you're not done. If that's one thing from sports science background, you're not done. You really aren't. It's constantly evolving. There's more body of research coming out week on week on week. And then, for example, um, just working my job, I really enjoy my job at the moment. It's it's, it's very rewarding regarding working as a PE teacher, yeah. Um, coaching as well, and you get a lot back when you see young kids um, benefiting from the advice you're giving them, coaching, um, and then obviously them having fun as well, really enjoying themselves. If they're yeah. having fun, then you're in the wrong job, you know. What yeah. age groups are you coaching? Um, so I coach. I run summer camps as well. So. With my job in the schools and the summer camps, it can be from as early as, as five in summer camps up until 12, mid-teens. And then the school, we have the youngest boy is 11 up until 15. So, secondary school. Mulligan, your turn. Yeah, I suppose. Definitely my family, my government, it's the point that kept me going. Uh, I'd say, especially it's point when since I got injured, it's kind of brought us closer. Um, you know, the, the, the support I've received on them. That's been like second to none, like lifts here and there, you know, just kind of, if I'm feeling a bit down about what's happened, then like it's not, I suppose, you could kind of say, like footballer gets down, he gets injured, you know, like he's left by himself in the physio's table and just him and the physio. But like I've been out of work, like I'm limited what I can do, but they've always kind of been there to pick me up and kind of keep me, keep me going, I suppose. Um, just at, like kind of, Little goals, like Huey was saying at the start, you know, like getting off the crutches, getting back this, getting back that. Like that's kind of keeping me going as well and just kind of setting setting little targets that I can hit, kind of even little things daily. Like I can take, like I suppose bringing a glass of water with me crutches, like that's just a little goal every day, yeah. being able to do kind of little, little bits and pieces like that. So kind of things like that is keep, keep me going. I've kind of... I was saying to David last week, I've never had a major injury. So I'm kind of blessed, you know, like typical footballer, kind of little strains here and there. But something like an ACL or anything like that, I've never experienced it before, so it's all new to me. Yeah. And at the start, I did find it very tough, but 
of the people coming to the coast and me coming to Pitney Cow. A couple of quick fires before we wrap up, Hugh. Yeah, Hugh. Who's the best player you've played against? Um, Robbie Benson. Robbie Benson. Okay. What's your favourite ground in Ireland that you've played in? Besides your hometown? Uh, Turtles Cross. Okay. Five aside, you're playing Power League. Who are the players you'd have in your team? They can be anyone. They can be from England. They can be international players. They can be recently retired. Who's your five aside? Playden. No. Um, who's in your who's in your five? Um, Zidane. Okay. Maldinio. Okay. Um, Maldini. Just feel big guns there. Yeah. Um, goalkeeper. I'd have to go for Ruffon. And two more. One more. Two more. One more, no, I think. One more. Um, I would go for a bit of steel, Roy Keane. Okay, so you've got Keane, Maldini, Ronaldinho, Zizou. And Buffon. And Gianluigi. Who's your five? And then we'll wrap it up, Jake. Who's your five in your power league? Probably put Dida in there. He's known scoring beside him in a small goal like that, already. Um, definitely Steven Gerrard. Have to be in there. Probably play, go with Skulls alongside him. Not get the ball off either of them. John Terry at centre-back, probably. Because it's all hard, you know. Like, yeah. I'm sure he's a type of lad, even in a five side, he's not letting you buy him for nothing. And um, Jesus, Schreiger. Throw Messi in there, I forgot him. Jesus, how can I? I forgot his son. Yeah, I'll shoot. Two bad shoots for me. Little Schreiger. Which a class, maybe. Something like Dennis Bergkamp or something. Okay. Alright. Two of you both have a lot of heart. That's what I've seen today. Thanks very much, both of you, for coming in. Hugh, you've given Jake some great advice today. Take the daily wins, take those one percenters, work on the little bits. Don't think it's nine months. Think about getting your swelling down, working your range of motion. Look to the guy on your left there as a beacon. This is what you need to get back to. Hugh, you're a, you're a family man, someone that's always wanting to evolve. You're a sports scientist. You're a PE teacher that gives out a lot. You work with young kids. You're trying to teach them every day. That's great, you know, you're bringing your energy and love from the game to the young community, which is something that's, that's really lovely and enlightening for us to see. We'd like to acknowledge you, myself and Connor. And um, it's been really interesting speaking to you today and lovely to see after so many years. So I wish you all the best, stay fit, stay healthy, and Jake, best of luck with your coming months ahead. Cheers, boys. Cheers.